Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and other things. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Hi, Joe. Good to be uh, doing still another episode and another one on campus. It is on campus, overlooking um, the library in the distance through the, the leafy trees. Which you can't see the leafy of quad of Lewis and Hall in the the mid spring of 2018. Well. Mid-spring uh, or late spring. Late spring of 2018. With, uh, with an apparent season change that's not going to come to this part of the country, based on what we've been witnessing here. So based on the meteorology. <laughs> let's so talk Mr. about Walker. It's always, yeah. look, we're New Yorkers, exactly. but you got to complain about weather for a minute or two before you start talking. Let's talk about another storm on the horizon. With our nice program segue, head, Joe. Scott Rosner. Scott, welcome back again. Joe, pleasure to be here. Tom, thank you very much for Always having good me to again. Chat. So, what storm, Joe, are you, are you referring to? Because there's a lot of the them. dreaded gambling storm. And, and one of the things okay. I want to bring up, and it's funny, you talk about as as sports gambling is now in the focus with Maryland and New Jersey and other states now coming on and actively starting. Uh, for those who don't know, the first day that Maryland, that Maryland, that Delaware um, opened. Their casinos, their, their racinos to sports gambling, they took in $300,000, I think, was the first Ooh, day. That's right. Uh, and the, the funny story was, and amidst the dull gray carpeting and smell of cigarette smoke and leftover beers, $300,000 walked out the door on, on sports gambling. Right. Um, where is it going? How did we get here? And kind of what what are the opportunities? And, and uh, you know, Scott has touched on this from various areas. Um I don't think you've been the biggest proponent of sports gambling, correct? You know, I've been kind of all over the place. On speaking, the speaking academically, professionally, or <laughs> as, as a sports fan. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm I am as happy as anyone else to put a few shekels down right. uh, on on a game. So I don't look at it from really a pure prurient interest or anything like that. I, I look at it from really an opportunity standpoint for the leagues. And obviously, you know, there's, there's a degree of concern uh, about gambling addiction and everything else that you'll see responsible gambling just like we see responsible drinking mm-hmm. um, ads. And we will continue to see more of those, I believe. But I would think about it more opportunistically for the business in which we are engaged. I think about how teams, leagues, properties can monetize this newfound potential revenue stream, if at all, and how that might happen. So on a very kind of simple way to think about it is, and I think maybe the greatest impact, although indirect, is the stickiness that the sports industry will see as a result of this. And a very kind of close analogy to this is fantasy and the sports in which people are really engaged in fantasy sports participation which is really just a proxy for gambling in in so many ways have seen their stickiness in other words the the length of engagement the number of people engaged the length of engagement time spent with the uh, with with the property and specifically of course the NFL and college football has really developed uh, to to a point where we know it's the biggest sport in, in North America, but it's like the manna from heaven for them, right? The evolution of fantasy sports for the NFL, um, it, it really out of the roots in baseball, has been incredibly important. Think about all 
the games that you watch that you would not have watched, but for the fact that you've got a player playing in that mm-hmm. game, or the game that you would have turned off, but you're playing against somebody who is in that game, and mm-hmm. you're really rooting for them not to throw the ball to them, or don't hand the ball off to right. them, especially now that right. they're in the red zone. So I think of gambling as fantasy on steroids. In terms of the level of engagement that we'll see, I think it's just going to make it much stickier, and therein lies indirectly the biggest opportunity that will be given uh, to the sports leagues, teams, properties as a result of this. Scott, something that we talked about in a recent podcast with Carla, our beloved uh, sports law professor, Carla Varielli, is this idea of market sizing against gambling. So there's been kind of this conceit I think in the in the business discussions the last few weeks since this big announcement from SCOTUS mm-hmm. that, oh, everybody's just going to start gambling on sports and the engagement will go up and we're going to win again in the attention economy and, and all that. But we did see a leveling off of fantasy gaming, mm-hmm. especially in daily fantasy gaming, which never scaled to the size that people anticipated uh, a few years ago. So let's talk about that for a second. Just because it's there, it's accessible, it's legal, it might be fun, doesn't necessarily mean everybody's going to do it. I would agree with that. And I think that what you could wind up seeing is a shifting or a non-shifting of underground gambling on the black market with your local bookie, uh, let's call him for this purpose, Joe, to, uh, to a legal above-board means. People are still going to stick by their bookies in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, from the simple standpoint, they don't have to have cash up front, right? You can, you can go on credit. Uh, there's, there's a lot of other at things your own that risk. you think about at your own <laughs> risk, but you go on credit, right? You don't have to have the cash available. So we, we think about, and you don't physically have to be there. So if, it's, if there's no mobile, right? Mobile's a different story. If it's only that you could do it in a brick and mortar location, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's not really much of a game changer, mm-hmm. right? More people will gamble, but not really sizably. If it's mobile, I think that that changes the game a little bit. Um, from an engagement standpoint, I don't think that this is going to turn people who are not fans of the sport into fans of the sport for the simple fact that they can gamble on it now. Right. And, you know, I will look to the words, and it's one of the few things on which, believe it or not, I, I disagree with Don Garber, the commissioner of Major mm-hmm. League Soccer, as we all know, uh, on. Don's a brilliant guy and has really led that league incredibly well. Mm-hmm. He did make a point, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, about after sports gambling was was legalized by the court, uh, about what it would mean and what it will mean for Major League Soccer, and saying all of a sudden people are going to start watching soccer games. And he didn't say that verbatim, but a paraphrase mm-hmm. of, of that, and that we've got to get more people you know engaged and you know. I, I just don't think that's it. I don't think if you're not a soccer fan, you're going to suddenly start watching soccer because you can gamble on it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just right. that's just not the case. So. What I, I do think will be the case is someone like me, right? So I'm not opposed to gambling. I don't have a bookie, but I play in a survivor pool every year for the NFL. Will I be more likely to place a legal bet on an NFL or a college game, basketball? Absolutely. So fortunately, where I tend to go on the Jersey Shore is very close proximity to Monmouth Park. Mm-hmm. So... It's available. Um, Does it mean I'm going to put the whole paycheck on there? Maybe, maybe it doesn't. But uh, but really, does it mean you know what does that mean for me? It means that 
yeah, I'll probably place a few more bets, but I'm certainly not going to bet the house mm-hmm. uh, or anything like that. Right. At least not yet. So at the Leaders Conference, one of the things that came up on the, the panel on sports gambling, Steve, Stephen Burton from Genius Sports said there's going to be two phases. One is going to be this rush to figure out how to make money. But the real thing down the line, as the teams get used to it, is the fan engagement, keep people around a little bit longer to buy a couple of extra hot dogs and some extra swag. And interestingly, this past week, I was glutton for punishment, sat through the Mets and the Orioles at City Field, which was actually a beautiful night. And other than the result, it was fine, unless you're an Orioles fan. Um, but as we walked in, the ushers were handing out these orange cards. And on the orange card was, by the way, did you know if you can now go to MLB Advanced Media, download the app, make sure you have it, Go on to the Mets site, and tonight you can play trivia against everyone in the stands. And although the user experience, as Tom talks about all the time, wasn't great to start, we there were 10 people around me, by the way, five of whom were from the UK who'd never seen a baseball game before, who got this card and downloaded the app because they could play little trivia games. And then, I'd never seen it before, throughout the course of the game, the Mets were posting the results up on the scoreboard for who was competing against who to keep them around. And the winner at the end of the game actually got a gift card. Okay. So that's kind of the the experience I think that people will get to. And that's how the ancillary money I think will come back in versus, you know, people throwing down all their money to just hope that, you know, the Capitals win the Stanley Cup. No, and I, and I agree with you. I don't think it's that. I also think obviously from a sponsorship standpoint – uh, that's that's low hanging fruit. I think you'll see an influx of you know once the leagues figure out the rules around casino right. sponsorship and what the limitations might be and you know visibility and signage uh, and everything else. Once the leagues figure that piece, that we'll see a lot more on that front. I think we'll see a lot more sponsors. I think it's you know replicate in many ways global football where a lot of the brands uh, that sponsor, especially the EPL kit sponsors, mm-hmm. um, are gambling sites of, of different sorts. So I, I think that's pretty straightforward. I think you'll see some rebranding uh, to the extent that it hasn't been allowed in stadiums. I think you'll see, um, again, it has to be allowed by legislation, but you'll see some gambling uh, eventually in stadium um, and, and, and in the location. So there's 50-50s now for charity. Mm-hmm. I think it's certainly, it's, mm-hmm. you can expect to see sports books um, or betting parlors open up the opportunity to that. That's certainly the case in England. Uh, well, you can, you can do it in Europe. Vegas. Yeah. In March, I was in both the UNLV football stadium and the home of the AAA Vegas 51s, mm-hmm. and there is a massive sign for William Hill. Yeah. On the wall, nobody questioning it because it's a legal sports book in Las Vegas. Yeah, and, and so I think you certainly will see um, some, some more of that. And then it's how do you engage your fans in a better way, right? And Tom, that's kind of where your expertise mm-hmm. is, right? Mm-hmm. So digitally, how do we really engage our fans on a much deeper level through this new kind of tactic we have uh, at our disposal? Yeah, I think, and it's happening at a really interesting time in the sports business as it relates to customer ownership, customer development, and that is the idea of how do you own the data? How do you have that direct-to-consumer business? Because this has been exposed as one of the single biggest weaknesses for the leagues. Mm -hmm. They just historically have not owned their consumer other than the season ticket holder, which is a declining uh, and endangered species, severely endangered species. So there's this land rush right now for D2C products of all kinds, digital products, where not only are you getting the engagement value, which translates to sponsorship support, advertising support, et cetera, but you're collecting all the data and you're building the lifetime value 
of a customer. So if we thought it was big um, and or had the potential to be big, let's say an OTT, direct-to-consumer streaming products, which all the leagues have right now, um, it's gonna, it has the potential to be really big and really valuable here. So to me, the most fascinating question, Joe, and I think you and I touched on this briefly with Carla a few weeks back, I think the big question is who will own and be the purveyor of the platform, the interface, the experience? That's what right? it is. So, so NFL, just to remind you guys, I think we covered this, is the only sports league to have a proprietary gaming platform for fantasy gaming. Mm-hmm. And that's where I play my season mm-hmm. fantasy football. Mm-hmm. Now, I also play FanDuel, mm-hmm. but the NFL doesn't get any credit for that other than the sponsor, whatever they have going. Right. But you know what I mean? Like they, The NFL owns me and my 11 colleagues were friends mm-hmm. for the fantasy football thing. They know everything we're doing. Mm-hmm. Will a league step in and actually be one of the platform providers? To me, that's the, the single most intriguing question about this because it will be the mobile aspect uh, and the offsite aspect will ultimately be the, the big part of the business. Let me ask you this. Don't you think that's a, for a league, I would be concerned that that's too much of a leap of faith. That's a great, that's, that's what I'm suggesting, Scott. Like, I, you can, you can see, you the, can con- you can see the conflict, right? Sure, of Legally, course. morally, etc. Mm-hmm. But you can see the business opportunity. And, and I think the question then is... And they don't want to give... I don't think they want to give that up. They don't up. want to give it up. But, and I understand that. My, my concern is thinking about the ownership group collectively in the NFL, specifically very conservative. Will they be willing to be in the gambling business directly? Right. So it, there's a lot of indirect examples right of now. Of course. Not the least of which are investments in sport radar and things like that. Exactly. But... I don't know. To me, this this is almost a um, this is one of the most important questions that's hit the business in a long time. Because ultimately, whatever whatever size this market gets to, it will be a very valuable audience to own. And I can't imagine the owners at an owners meeting for any of these leagues sitting back and saying, "You know what? Let's just let ESPN have it or yeah. Yahoo Sports Standing up on or or the the Acme company that you and I start up as a startup because we mm-hmm. build a good platform. Because it's really as simple as that. Like, who's going to build the best interface? where the experience of actual gambling for sports mm-hmm. can be done most comfortably, most easily, best e-commerce, best privacy, best protection, etc. And the best provider of that experience will win the day. And, it, and there's no reason that can't be a league. Mm-hmm. So if I were in a, my old job, say at the NHL, I would be advocating if we didn't have any legal restraints to actually invest in creating the proprietary platform, at least for hockey-related gambling. Mm. I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Joe? Um, so there's a couple things. One is keeping in mind that we now have owners that own teams on both sides of the pond. So you've got Shad Khan who owns the Jaguars and, and, and Henry. Yeah. Yeah. Stan yeah. And, and they've all looked at it and seen, oh, look at what we're doing over here, making money. So it's not that crazy that they could say, you know, it works over there. Why can't we do it over here? And then find, you know... The disruptive ownership group to you know bring Jerry Jones in and say here's all the money we're going to make we're going to go do this um, right but it still comes back to this question is who, who who's going to who's going right. to get those right. consumers and Ted painted a picture by the way mm-hmm. Ted Lewis has painted a picture I think publicly recently on this topic where he envisioned a day let's say and um, if if it's legal in D.C. will D.C. be one of the adoptive states 
early for this? I don't think so. The District of Columbia? I don't know. I don't, I thought I've Carl never, said it was. But anyway, it was. just suppose it is. Because mm. the stadium, the, the arena for Washington is right in D.C. Right. Yeah. So I think the picture he painted, I, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, was that let's say there's a Capitals game next fall and that the game starts at 7.30, mm-hmm. that people might come to the arena at 2 o'clock or 1 o'clock and they start gambling in a sports book on site mm-hmm. on college basketball, mm-hmm. excuse me, college football, or whatever else is happening uh, that day in the world of sports. And you turn it into kind of a sports book, live sports event combination, long, multi-hour event. I mean, yeah. that's not a crazy idea. And it's not, I mean, you talk about the length of engagement. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Owners have really been thinking about this. How can we, how can we elongate our interaction with the... Uh, with the consumer, and certainly that would be a great way to do it. Right. So forget the workstay play, right. uh, mixed, mixed use developments that we've seen time and again uh, with varying degrees of success, but this is really a way to, yeah. to engage them. So as I think about this, though, one of the questions that I have and that I think about is, are we concerned then about, if at all, about a group of fans who similar to fantasy, are more engaged with the gambling aspect of what they're doing than, and they're rooting for point spreads and lines over-unders, so on and so forth, as opposed to rooting for the teams and the players. I think that's a great question. And it relates to the, fa- the relatively new fandom course, right? Correct. The nature of fandom. I think that's a really key question because I do know fantasy players who are paying way closer attention to the performance of their fantasy teams than to any individual team. Absolutely. Or, or even the, you know, for the, the greater good of the league. And what about the fans who, the large segment of fans, it's hard for us to imagine, but the large segment of fans who don't have a favorite team. Right. right. Mm-hmm. They have favorite players that they follow, but they do not, have, and, and that they root for and against, all based on fantasy, but they don't have a favorite team. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And what does that mean for the leagues now? Because now they're they're they forget having a favorite team; they're just you know having a favorite betting line. Yeah. Right. And what does that mean going forward? It's a huge question yeah. and a complicated one. But you know, I just thought of a corollary to my point about the digital experience. There, there's also going to be a competitive thing going on in the analog world of who's providing the best sportsbook experience. So right now mm-hmm. there are three sure. places in Delaware as of this week. Where you can go gamble. I've never been to the three. It sounds like you've been to one of them. I've, I've been through some of them. So <laughs> right. not not in a positive way. Saying, so so think about that. So think so think about a year from now. Let's say it's legal in New York, and we have multiple places we can choose to go yeah. to do this. So, yeah. So the, who's going to win that? Well, so it's going to be it's going to be the you know, that's the, the analog equivalent of the best too. user experience. Right. Sure. And some yeah. are going to be CDOTV places where yeah. you kind of hold your kid's hand a little bit tighter. Right. Uh, when you walk by them, and you know others are going to be first class, kind of yeah. you know high end, just like OTB. Scott, what was right. the name of the place? <laughs> no, seriously, what was the name of the place? It was a place by the vet that was like this high end. Do you remember that by yeah, the Park Casino? Yeah, Park Casino. No, 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 no. Years ago, by the vet, it was right by the vet by um by the where Holiday, Holiday Inn is. There was a place that was like you go in and you get drinks, and it was it was I don't it wasn't open that long, obviously, but if, but that was the type of thing as opposed to. Going to like you know the OTB down there. and people most people probably listening to this have no idea what OTB is, yeah. but um, off track butting parlors. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, but Scott, let me ask you this from a legal perspective. If you I don't know if you know the answer, but 
we asked Carla this question when we spoke to her on this topic. So if New Jersey uh, it gets finalized, which it sounds like it's yeah. imminent. People listening to this, Imm- it will be New Jersey. Imminent, right. We'll be number so two. we have two football teams, mm-hmm. NFL teams, in New Jersey playing their games. Will we be going to Jets and Giants games this fall where there will be kiosks or cashiers? Probably and, not this fall. Okay. Um, so there's a couple layers there that we'd have to see. Um, one, legislatively, the, the state law that is passed in New Jersey would actually have to allow for gambling, sports gambling, outside of the designated places where it is right now, which is, from my understanding, casinos and horse tracks. Which, okay. by the way, is right across from MetLife Stadium. Right, which is right across. So the, the Meadowlands oh, Racetrack right. is yeah. right across the street. The harness, right? So, exactly. So... That potentially that could be a. a so do you run know, over at halftime? You, you, if, well, you can't <laughs> get back into the stadium. That's the question. You like the bunch bunny here near so, and go outside to smoke. So, so the, but but it's a good question. So absent a legislative carve out in New Jersey to allow for an expansion of where gambling is allowed, you wouldn't see it. Okay. That doesn't mean it can't be amended going forward. Right. That's one. Two, if it is approved, then you also have to have league approval. Right. For that to occur. Um, so they have the league has to say yes. You can open up a betting parlor okay. in your facility. Um, you have to agree to it with uh, whoever the stadium authority is, right? Which you can see more revenue coming in for them. So you can imagine that not being a major hurdle, right. but one that has to be overcome. Um, you know, and then uh, you you know who, who's responsible? You contract for the with a, with a, someone that actually knows how to do sports book. Oh right? yeah, like exactly. Mon- Joseph saying. Monmouth uh, uh, partnering with William, William Hill. Hill. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. Uh, but, but if you were running MetLife Stadium, your if you were running MetLife, wouldn't you want to try to do that? Oh, absolutely. So here, here's the ironic thing is that there are Stadia, Oakland being one, Jacksonville has already done it. Mm-hmm. I've heard that MetLife Stadium is looking at it for these distressed suite areas mm-hmm. to build out these what areas. Mean, Meaning like no people, they, they're hard, not buying yeah. them. Hard, the hard to move areas. They're in the wrong place. Yeah. Okay. overbuilt. You know, okay. the trend with, with, during yeah. the trend to... To build as many suites as possible right. to monetize short right. in yeah. short term, which long term is obviously proven right. not to be the right strategy right. Uh, in most places, to convert those, when we see convertible space, convert them into a sports book, just in the same way that you're converting it into what they call a party suite now, yep. which is code for a suite that we couldn't sell. Right. Um, so we had to invest some money, tear down some walls, and, mm-hmm. and, and move it around. I think, Joe, that to me is yeah. a, a perfect use of that uh, really kind of white elephant space. Mm. Yeah. And probably 70% of the arenas in the country have something like that, whether it's an arena or a stadium. So that's really interesting. So so the, yeah. the other point that's out there, which when I was visiting um, the Southgate Casino in March that they talked about, were the, the two big things that people have forgotten Which about. one is that again? Southgate is the one that is off the strip, but where Brent Musburger's has, Oh, right, where has, VSIN. Has it. And yeah. it's the original. It's the original. It's uh, Jimmy Vaccaro's, the original. He actually is there. All the guys from Casino. Right. It's like walking right into, literally, <laughs> you know, Central Coast. Joe Pesci there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nikki. So, Nikki. <laughs> but, but the two things they pointed out were, one, the reason why things are set up now is the credit card companies are not set up to take bets. You right. cannot do mm-hmm. mobile bets right. anywhere else. Which leads to the other question of, if you're at a stadium... The connectivity in the stadium has to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And now you're starting to see, there was an article last week saying 5G is now going to come along a lot faster, Verizon, mm-hmm. because you need this connectivity to make sure that mobile gaming, whether it's gambling or fantasy, has to happen in, if you're sitting in Section 320 or Section 9. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to have mm-hmm. the same experience. Mm-hmm. So 
all these other ancillary businesses are really where the place things are going right. to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's an inordinate opportunity, but there's also a lot of technical challenges that need to be solved along the way, or there's just you're creating uh, uh, a, a maelstrom. Right. Um, you know, uh, and a number, in other words, another a number of different things uh, that could go wrong. I just thought of another angle that you and I have talked about before. Um, I think a few times in this podcast, and that is the unintended consequence of adding too many amenities, especially ones that might be a little bit more, shall we say, addictive, Mm -hmm. such as gambling. Mm -hmm. So let's say MetLife Stadium or City Field put in like mini sport books. There's already an issue of having that appearance of empty seats, especially in the lower section, Mm -hmm. which I I note all the time. Every time I turn on a baseball game, I'm amazed Mm -hmm. by that problem because I really do believe it's a perception issue that they have to that they have to fix in baseball, especially. So imagine I don't know a year from now if it actually gets to this point where we'd have a choice of sitting out when it's 17 degrees and windy at a Giants game or going inside and hanging out the sports book with you know, 17 screens and an ability just to go make $2 bets. One more distraction. One <laughs> more distraction. So yeah. it's something they're going to have to figure out. Right. And right. it's going to be, you know, one more uh, issue that the leagues have, and the teams specifically have to address as we think about stadiums, uh, stadia as, as public gathering places. Um, what that means is going to change you know i think there's still public gathering places but is the public all watching the same thing are they all engaged and i think there is a potential opportunity that is um that that is that is lost uh for you know the uniqueness of coming together with a group of like-minded people to watch a game kind of the public square uh right and then scott you know this is another comment ted leontis made that i was just reminded of and that is you know, you think about the amount of non-usage of these major facilities. Mm-hmm. Most, the vast majority of the time, the facilities aren't even being used. Mm-hmm. So if you can come up with a way to create a good sports watching and, if you're into it, gambling experience, let's say when your team is away, that's a pretty appealing idea. Yeah, I mean, forget the restaurant, right? Yeah, the, the street-facing I mean. restaurant. If you can have a street-facing sports book, right. yeah. um, you know, to, to turn it into yeah. more of a 365-day-a-year uh, place, especially for stadia. Less so for arenas, just right. because the usage rates tend to be right. so much higher. But for stadia, uh, right. there, there's no question. That's yeah, a, that's I mean, a, a good example like of a Giants. Let's say the Giants have an away game that's going to be on against Dallas, the 4-15 game. Mm-hmm. Come to MetLife Stadium. Mm-hmm. Giants are away, but guess what? Our sports book is open. But the Start watching the one o'clock shows, and, and then you can just segue right into watching the game. So the challenge with that is something that you know I've dealt with as a consultant to, to, to teams. The, the watch party, the watch opportunity, and the if it's sizable, and this is really the mass ones, think about playoffs, and mm-hmm. you know, why can't you open the stadium up to have people come to the stadium to right. watch on game days? Because it, the concern is it's got a meaningful impact. Now, not just the operating standpoint, it's, it's got a meaningful impact on yeah. TV ratings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that that's a whole other challenge yes. yeah. um, for them. And, and so you don't want to say, well, you know, it, we would have had X, but we have X minus. Because we opened the stadium up, and that's going to be a non-starter for the broadcast partners. Unless we get some new Nielsen boxes or something. Sure, better better measurement. Yeah. 
So before we wrap about this great topic, one other thing, because there's a lot of people who are listening to the show who are looking for jobs, what kind of jobs, Scott, are, are you think related, could, to gambling. related to gambling mm-hmm. could come out of this? Is yeah. It, where, where are the, there's going to be new veins of jobs? Hopefully. Yeah, so certainly I wouldn't expect any of our students to be going in and setting lines on games or anything like that. Although, well, there's, although there are a few. To the they are, and, although and it's highly analytical in nature. Yeah, and we I have a lot of foreign students who are used to doing that. Yeah. So. so I see them more on the infrastructure side, the sports radars of the world, integrity, genius, mm-hmm. uh, sports. The media and, side. And, yeah. Media side. Yeah. Um, but really more infrastructure, um, I think, is an, is an interesting way to think about So. Uh, sports radar, so data monitoring and integrity, mm-hmm. uh, I think is a really kind of cool thing. We'd even get into the potential integrity effects on the sport, mm-hmm. uh, if any, that exists as a result of, of gambling. Um, you know, I think that's really thinking strategically, I think, from an operations standpoint as well, another area. Um, so a lot of different ways in, in which they could become engaged uh, on, on this point. Joe, who should, um, who should we and the listeners be following like who's who's become kind of the leading voice well from a, from a news standpoint there's really three um espn chalk which is uh david protum so that's uh, a twitter account or tw- like what, a website both twitter and website espn espn chalk david protum is p-e-r-d-u-m is the guy uh legal sports report has done a tremendous job um those are the two um you know i think genius sports and sport radar do a good job um, VSIM, which is the, the, the... That's the Musburger one. That's the Mer- Musburger one run mm-hmm. out of Southgate. They're doing a good job. Um, and and then, Action Network is about to launch. Action, ne- with Action Network with Chad Millman. Chad's, yep. Chad's doing a great job. Um, Peter Chernin putting money in there after... And, and they're funny. And the, they're, they're actually a good follow. How do you watch them or how do you pay attention to Action Network? So I've looked more at... Well, from a gambling perspective, first of all, I've looked more at, at Daniel Wallach. Um, so from a law from, standpoint. From yep. a law standpoint yep. Just talking about how okay. this has all evolved has really been, been at the forefront. So a good Twitter follow? Great Twitter and follow. And the American Gaming Association, too. And, and AGA. AGA has yeah. been good, too. Okay. Obviously, they're lobbying, so it's a little mm-hmm. bit different slant on it. Um, and Action Network, I just think they're really funny. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I but what are you watching of theirs? Um, I don't know if I'm... I don't think I'm watching any. Or how, how are you following on 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 Twitter? Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. And the conversations back and forth, and some of their podcasts and things like that. Um, when it's on Plus, that's a whole other story. Right. When 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 that whole thing begins, is that where uh, it's going to go? That's just going to be on ESPN just Plus. Specifically ESPN Plus. Okay. So, and among other places, yeah. uh, but this was a really important moment for that company, and I think they uh, forecasted it well. And from a, a content perspective. Creativity standpoint, I, I can't imagine anyone being better than Chad Millman at that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. for sure. And he's been involved since the beginning. He launched ESPN Chalk when he was editor-in-chief at ESPN. Wrote a book, The yep. Odds. Oh, yep. nice. Yep. On, on sports. Oh, well, that's helpful for everybody. All right, well, that was fun. We should probably wrap because mm-hmm. we're limited on time today. Uh, but a nice quick conversation about one of the most fascinating, controversial topics in the business and perhaps game-changing topics. No pun intended. Really interesting to see where this goes over the next few years and all kinds of levels and uh, we'll have fun watching so we'll revisit it when the time is right maybe in a few more months absolutely okay all right well we've been joe and i've been talking to scott rosner from columbia uh thank you again scott for your po- second podcast my you've pleasure already, already, a veteran i was gonna say you've already gone to the head of the class as a, as a <laughs> carl and scott are the only wait, wait, two what do you get as a second time guest uh a t-shirt um all right everybody thanks for listening to the latest episode of the cusp show